Hey, this is Greg. And Zach. Welcome back to the Harvestgate podcast. This week, we continue our values series with a conversation about our third value, being community-oriented. We'll talk about why having an impact on our local community is so important, and how Harvestgate will strive to build a connection with the community in which we live and work. Zach, it's right in our mission statement, connecting faith to families, communities, and marketplaces, but what does it mean for Harvestgate to be community-oriented? Yeah, I think that some of it comes from just a maybe a conviction that we have. Uh, we, we might say it this way, that we believe that God created the church to worship Him and to bring value, wisdom, and peace to the communities in which we live. And in order to do so, we must invest our lives into our communities. And so it's kind of driven from this, this perspective that we are to be a blessing to the community. Mm-hmm. And there is a passage of scripture in, in the book of Jeremiah 20, uh, chapter 29. I'm just going to read it here for you. Um, and so just to give a little bit of context, um, Israel had been uh, invaded by and taken captive by the Babylonians at this point mm-hmm. in, the, in the story of Israel, and they have been um, exiled. Some of, uh, many of them were killed, and then the rest of them were, were captured. And this is what God tells um, the Israelites through the prophet Jeremiah. Says this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all of those I carry into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in numbers there, do not decrease. Also, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. And, man, like, so you would think that maybe in this scenario, God would say like, hey, uh, just try to survive. Uh these, these people are your enemies. Mm-hmm. These people are, you know, they've, they've destroyed you. Um, they've killed many of your people. Just try to survive and I, like, I will bring you out. But what he actually says is, like, work for the prosperity of those people. Because when you do that, it's an it's a excellent witness of who I am. I'm this merciful and just God who, who wants to redeem all of creation, not just the Israelites, not just God's people, mm. but all of humanity. And so he tells them, hey, move into the city and you know, marry, uh, bring peace, prosperity, plant gardens, do all of these kinds of things. And in doing so, you'll be a blessing to the community. And that's kind of what we hope to do. We hope to to be a people of blessing right in the communities in, in which we live. You give us a little bit of kind of backstory from, uh, maybe for lack of a better term, from the Bible and kind of where that community orientation comes from and, and how we want to build relationships through that. Why do you think it's um, 
an important part of Harvestgate to embed itself in the community. I mean, we've kind of talked about Harvestgate as a as uh, a project, a mission, whatever you want to use to de- define it, as a very you know localized thing. It's going to be in the community with a coffee house and a house church right there in the middle of Columbus. How is that connection to the community uh, important? So it's important because we are called to be a blessing to the world around us. And I've talked about this in previous podcasts, but when Paul talks about the church, uh, the Apostle Paul, when he talks about the church throughout the New Testament, he uses the word ecclesia. And so I'm going to kind of revisit this real quick. Uh, Paul, when he used that word, it was a, for a lack of better words, I don't really like to use this word, but everybody knows what I'm talking about. It was a secular word. Mm-hmm. It was not a uh, religious word necessarily. So the word ecclesia in America is often defined as a gathering, which, uh, or this is, I, I've even heard it, uh, the, the, the gathering of God's assembled people. And while that's not altogether incorrect, there's uh, the etymology of that word or the, the study of that word. What we see is that prior to that word being used for to describe the church, what we learn is that every town, village, or city had a group of elders who would meet at the city gate. And the purpose of those elders was to bring wisdom and value and clarity and and at times judgment on the cities um, for the sake of the city. And so maybe there is an engagement that needs to be legitimized. Uh, Maybe there's a dispute between landowners. Maybe there's some sort of um, uh, legal situation that they need uh, impartial judges on. Mm-hmm. So, so people in the city, town, or village would come to uh, the elders at the city gate at a given time. I'm sure they had specific times where they were meeting there. And they would share their cases or they would share their stories or share why uh, this engagement was going to be valid or, you know, whatever the case might be. And the city elders would give a pass a judgment uh, on behalf of the city. Well, that gathering of people at the city gate was called an ecclesia. Paul knows this. And so he kind of uh, uh, appropriates this word from, quote, secular society and Mm -hmm. uses it to describe the church. And so when Paul talks about the church, yes, it is a gathering of people, but it's a gathering of people who are gathered for the purpose of bringing wisdom, value, and clarity to their cities. And so a lot of times uh, churches exist for themselves. And, and again, I want to be—I always want to be careful whenever I bring a critique to the church. Yeah, I mean, we're not trying to generalize for all churches, and, and but I think it, it partners with maybe feelings that I've had about church in the past. And if I'm feeling that way, it's probably a— somewhat common feeling or belief in non-religious circles or individuals to feel like, okay, like, you know, maybe, maybe their opinions are influenced by, you know, televangelists and mega churches and stuff they see on TV where it's like, 
oh, I, you know, everyone, please pray and donate for my private jet or something. Yeah. Because that's what God wants or, or something. And that kind of distorts a lot of people's views of what a church should be and what it's doing for everyone else. Yeah, and a lot of times there's a, a big disconnect, just to your point, there's there's a big disconnect between what it is we say and what it is that we do. Sure. Um, and there's a, there's a question that, um, like a, a hypothetical question that terrifies me and drives me um, and has kind of informed this, this value of ours. Mm-hmm. And this hypothetical question is this. If by some sort of miracle, I don't know if it'd be a, a miracle, but some sort of situation where your church, if it were magically plucked out from where it exists in the community, if it were to be plucked out of the neighborhood, this question comes to mind. Would anybody notice and would anybody care? Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty a pretty significant thing to think about is you want that – you would like to think that your church is doing good work and is connected with lots of people and that lots of people would notice if it was, you know, suddenly gone. Yeah, you know. so so part of uh, – so we have certain metrics that we go by or that we are, we're planning on using within our church. And um, I, I listened to uh, – I, a pseudo TED talk uh, the other day talking about metrics, and the the guy who was speaking, his name was Brian Saunders Sanders, <clears throat> but he had shared how there are kind of these uh, he calls them vanity metrics because they're <laughs> they're easy to they're easy to count, and so those are the things that we count, and those um, they probably make you feel good too when you count them. Yeah, um, and so. This is not the way that he said it, but I'm just going to say it this way. It's it's butts and budgets. How right. many people are in your gatherings and how much money have you brought in? Butts and seats. But yeah. Um, and so um, while those are, to some degree, those are necessary, um, they are not, I would say that those are penultimate, not ultimate metrics or things that we want to... So we have... We have uh, four growth metrics that we are looking at. Um, one of those, uh, the first one, is growth and maturity. So we would kind of say it this way: like, are people engaging in scripture and spiritual disciplines? Are we, you know, uh, loving one another? Are, are we? This is upward growth. Are we? Are we growing in our relationship with Jesus? And we have different things that we kind of trace that against. Yeah. And that's going to be different for each individual maybe, or. Yeah. And depending on where you are in your spiritual journey and, Mm -hmm. um, but are, are people growing and we'll have different, you know, what's the next step for this person in their journey. And, you know, um, our second growth metric is growth in unity. So growing within, uh, within inside the walls of the church, are we growing in love for one another? Are we, Hanging out outside of church events, are people traveling together, or you know, are um, you know, are people getting married with inside of the church, or you know, uh, just just ways to tell is unity happening? Uh, are be are people able to, at least in some form, able to uh, communicate back what our mission and our vision is of the church and our values? Um, and then the third one, which this is actually applicable to today's conversation, is growth in favor. 
Um, and this is how, how are we, the church, viewed by those outside of the church uh, or, or those in the community? Are they saying favorable things about us? Uh, are they saying, wow, like that church is really like they're doing great things for the community. They, you can tell that they really love their neighbors and, and they don't exist only for themselves. And so um, this, this growth metric of growing in favor speaks to the community. How, how are we serving the community? Because it's one thing to say that we want to be community oriented. It's another thing to actually do it and to have a positive view from the, uh, the larger community. And then uh, we said that there's four growth metrics. We think that the fourth and final one is growing in numbers. And again, that's kind of penultimate. It's secondary. Uh, if, we, if we do well in our first three growth metrics, maturity, unity, and favor, then we believe that by God's grace that we will grow in numbers. I think that's a good uh, approach just in general. Uh, when you think about like uh, effective goal setting, uh, whether it's in your personal life or your professional life or something like that, if you set a goal to have more people in seats, you aren't thinking about why you want people in seats or how to get them there, only that you want more. And so I think the way that you're defining Harvestgate's approach to that is to say what behaviors can Harvestgate commit to as a church, as a group of people that will have the net effect of growing numbers. It's not about growing numbers. It's about accomplishing specific things and doing specific things, whether it's within the community or the church or, you know, something else. But the knock-on effect from that should be that people become engaged and, and committed to the the church. Yeah. And so there, there's four B words and, and I'm not getting ready to use profanity here, oh, but, snap. Uh, but there, there are four <laughs> B words that I think um, a lot of churches use, uh, but the order that we use them in of like how we want people to progress can really make or break a community. Right. Um, and, and those words are, and I'm going to use them in the order that I believe that they need to uh, to exist. And that is uh, belong become, begin, I'm sorry, not begin, believe and behave. Mm. Um, so that's belong, become, believe and behave. And so we want people to belong, to feel a sense of belonging, whether or not you believe the same thing that we believe or not. Right. Um, because we're, uh, we're all a part of one new humanity. We're all human. It doesn't matter if you're black or or white or brown or uh, or if you're Christian or Muslim or atheist or you know whether you're from Uganda or from America or any place in South America. Like we're all human. Mm-hmm. It's one thing we all have in common. Um, and so we want people to belong. Um, then we want them to become, uh, who it is that God has created them to be. We believe that we're all made in the image of God. Uh, and this is backed by tons of scripture that, uh, that God, God made us for community. He made us for, 
uh, relationship that he put within us a, a spirit to love. So we want people to live into that. And ultimately, we want them to believe uh, that that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that he, in fact, truly is God, and that there is a need for, um, for a Savior, and that we place our faith and trust in him. And then we want people uh, that that, that uh, belief would lead to behavior changes. And so often what happens is we put behavior as the first thing. You have to behave a certain way. Mm. And maybe we might put belief. Uh, like So uh, we you believe a certain way, and then you have to behave a certain way. And then you can become and, you know, and belong. Yeah. So once once you fit in, you once can you fit come in, be part of the community or this, something. I think that this is just so counterintuitive to like the way that Jesus lived. Um, there. So there is a a, a, a church leader. Uh, his name is Hugh Halter, and he he formulated this progression of how Jesus lived. And I was like, oh, that's so phenomenal. Uh, so Hugh Halter, um, and five words, incarnation, reputation, conversation, confrontation, transformation. So let me break down each one of those. Um, Jesus um, incarnated himself. We've talked about this word before. It's mm-hmm. uh, it, it, He put on flesh, literally. Uh, the uh, John chapter one, verse 14 in the message Bible says that and Jesus moved into the neighborhood. So, um, so, so Jesus comes, puts on flesh and, and lives amongst the people to show them how, uh, like how to be a good human essentially. Um, and the way that he lives within the community of people, um, earns him this reputation. So incarnation, reputation, uh, it earns him this reputation of being a friend of sinners. Mm-hmm. And again, we might look at Christians today and like, that's not the reputation that we have. Um, and so we're kind of, we're, we're wanting to reframe that. We want to be a friend of sinners. Mm-hmm. Um, and I use that, that term being a friend of sinners uh, acknowledging I myself am a sinner. It's not like, well, people inside of the church aren't sinners and people outside of the church are sinners. Um, but this is just a reputation that that Jesus earned of uh, being a friend of sinners. That reputation then allowed for him to have conversation with them, um, just to really become friends of people yeah. um, and to engage in deep conversation through um, through our relationship, we've had good conversations. Yeah. Um, and through those conversations, it often leads to confrontation. Now, this doesn't mean that we're throwing up, you know, fisticuffs, but, um, but like there have been times that I have challenged you, I think on maybe some of your thinking that, and we've, de- I don't want to say debated because it like, that's such a, almost a toxic word these days, but. No, I mean, but we've had, <clears throat> I think, clear, Communication and discussion, I think, is the yeah. right word about, you know, beliefs and yeah. You know. And so, like, the, so our our beliefs come into conflict with one another. So there's this con 
con, uh, what's the word I used? Confrontation. Confrontation, thank you. <laughs> well, um, and that confrontation often leads to transformation. What happens, what I have found in the church, is we skip incarnation, reputation, and conversation, and we just jump right to confrontation and hope that people will then experience transformation. That makes me think a little bit about, like, my probably, uh, I I guess I would say it's like an unrealistic, uh, you know, anxiety I have about going to church is I don't want to be confronted by someone coming up to me at church and saying, oh, are you saved? Are you saved? Like, is this a safe place for me to be whether I identify with that or not? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, it was, uh, but I think I have that feeling because it has happened (laughs) a couple times. And I've been like, my my initial thought is like, none of your business, man. Yeah. You know? Well, in, in, in America today, especially, we live in like this world where everything has to happen now. Right. And we're like, oh, well, I talked to him about Jesus one time. And so why, why don't they believe in Jesus? <laughs> and if only it were that simple. Yeah. And then there's, a, there's also this unspoken uh, kind of thing that, well, like I'm going to befriend this person uh, with the expectation that they're going to believe in Jesus and they're going to submit to him and, you know, surrender their life to him. And if they don't, you know, we can't really be friends anymore. I'm glad that that's not the case for us. <laughs> yeah, I, I am too. Um, but so, so I, this is one of the reasons why I think it's important that we engage in the compu- in the community. Um, because here's the thing, um, and I've told you this before. Uh, I I want you to believe the things that I believe. Like I, I want you to believe that Jesus is God, that He died on the cross in your place for your sins. Um, I want. I want there to I want you to experience the same joy and peace that I have experienced through my relationship with Jesus. However, I am completely incapable of making that transformation happen, of making you believe that thing. Um, and so I think what we end up doing is we put undue stress and responsibility on our shoulders to make sure like that you believe. And it becomes more of an interrogation, like, where were you on the night of the 27th? <laughs> and we jump right to confrontation. Yeah. Um, and um, in in one of the letters to the Corinthians, and I should remember this, but I don't. It's either first or second Corinthians. Um, Paul says, uh, some of you follow Paul, some of you follow Apollos, um, you know, some say you follow Jesus. Well, what does it matter to me? Like, um, you know, some of us were given the gift or the responsibility to plant seeds. Some of us were given the responsibility to water seeds. Some of us were given the responsibility to harvest the fruit. But regardless of what your, uh, of what your responsibility is in there, it's God who gives the increase. And so we need to, uh, Liz and I kind of use this phrase. Uh, there is no vacancy in the Holy in in the Trinity. I cannot be your Holy Spirit, and so. Um, but what we are called to do is to move into the neighborhood, gain a reputation of being friends with sinners, and then enter into conversation, and then trust that God will lead us to uh, to 
being able to share the gospel in, in ways with people. But here's the thing. If we, if you and I had not built a relationship starting with tennis and coffee, mm-hmm. um, if I had, if we had eliminated all of that and I just jumped to Jesus conversations, you would feel like a project. You would right. probably be, uh, rub, feel like you feel rubbed the wrong way. And we probably wouldn't have a very good friendship. You wouldn't have a very good repu- uh, I probably would not have a very good reputation in your eyes of. I mean, it, it's true because the people that came up to me at churches and said, are you saved? Are you, you know, do you believe in Jesus or something? And that was the first thing they ever said to me. Uh, I don't know who any of them are. I don't remember their names. I don't remember the church I was at because my reaction was like, like, what's it to you? Why should, you know, why do I care if you care? You know, there was no investment, I think, there. Uh, and and the fact that we became friends before that became a conversation did have an impact on that. It was like, okay, we're not talking about this as a pretense for a relationship or something. Like, we are friends, and this is a thing we talk about. It is not the only thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and And I would agree with your assessment. Like, if you had come up at the softball game and like, so, Greg, what do you think about Jesus? I'd have been like, I think I'm playing softball and I'm sweaty and I'm a little uncomfortable with how fat I am out here playing <laughs> softball. Uh, and this is not a good time to talk about this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I, this might seem like it's been a uh, conversation that has not talked a lot about being community oriented, but being community oriented means that we are building friendships and relationships and building bridges and becoming people of peace within the community that we live and exist. Yeah, I think it's building relationships with those people that are there that you know you're you're making connections, getting to know people and and again not not going out to every person you see on the street and saying, "Have you heard about Jesus?" but <clears throat> going to them and saying, you know, "How can we serve you or something? How can we, you know, contribute to this community and build up this community in a positive way?" And then let those actions speak for, you know, maybe the, uh, I think I've seen this in a few places. And, uh, you know, when someone makes a a gesture of generosity, of giving towards someone, a lot of people are motivated to ask why. Why would you do that? You know, and people are thinking about the why they're going to maybe get to the, the underlying you know, belief of like, this is why we're doing it for a good cause and for a good reason. And Absolutely. That yeah. is 100% accurate. And I believe it's in, it's a letter that Peter wrote, either first or second Peter, I don't r- recall. But he essentially says, be prepared to give an answer anytime somebody asks why. Um, and that is that is a huge reason. Again, we're not doing it with, uh, I don't want to say like sneaky, like we're, we're not trying to. We're trying to trick people. We're into, not trying to people. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I've, uh, I I was telling somebody about Harvest Gate, like this was early in the stages. He's like, okay, so you're, you're going to have a coffee house. Is this like a Christian coffee house? Like, okay, here's your coffee. Now step over to this line if you'd like some prayer. <laughs> I was like, no, that would be that would be uncomfortable for everyone. However, 
I have built so many relationships with people through working at and uh, uh, going to coffee houses. Yeah. And those relationships have enabled me to have conversation and hopefully have earned me a positive reputation. Um, and some of those lead to deeper, uh, deeper relationships. Some of them, they just kind of remain, you know, mm-hmm. but I don't, I don't need to be everyone's savior. I, I am incapable of saving anyone. Only Jesus can do that. I need to be faithful to, to love those, uh, who God has put in my, uh, sphere of influence and trust God to transform hearts and, and, and those kinds of things. So that is, that kind of speaks to the motive as to why we want to be engaged in the community. Um, and it will, and it also kind of informs some of our other values. Uh, our final two values are being missionally minded and kingdom centered. Um, I'm sorry, kingdom focused. I was just thinking, I know I wrote this down and I know I remember what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) uh, Kingdom focused. And there's, I think that there's a huge interplay between all of our values. Oh yeah. It it has to start with and be centered on Jesus. Um, Because if we, if, if all we're doing and I might push some buttons here, but that's okay. Uh, If all we're doing is just doing good things and we are not taking the opportunities that we have through relationships, through conversation, through reputation and incarnation, like through these kinds of things. Um, If all we're doing is just doing good things, uh, then we're, we're not a whole lot different than say the Red Cross. Red Cross does great things. Mm -hmm. And I would, I would say that it's a, it's a, uh, a, a, they are involved in kingdom efforts. However, um, in Romans, it says, how can, how can they believe if they were not first told and how, um, and so there is, there is value in doing things to help to bring justice and and to restore humanity. There's value in that. But from what I would say, a Judeo-Christian perspective, um, we believe that this life is fleeting. Um, And so what we want to do is both uh, here and now, in on this side of eternity, but it also affects what we do on that side of eternity and, and how we, how we, uh, how we honor God through the way that we live. And, and so we want to be engaged in the community in order to be an example of Jesus to the world, not just to do good things, but to do good things because Jesus told us to do good things, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think so. Um, what would you say, and, and you know, obviously, again, we're early stages kind of uh, developing Harvestgate and, and working toward our, you know, first set of goals. Are there any specific initiatives or 
things that you can think of or maybe even events that are kind of down the, the pipeline, so to speak, that relate to the community that are looking to uh, engage or, um, uh, you know, support local community-related efforts? Yeah, there's – so I would say the the one that is primary is to open the coffee house. Mm-hmm. And you might be thinking, well, that's not super community oriented. Um, but we view this as a mission, the coffee house as a mission. Um, we want to be through our business to, uh, to be a blessing to the community, to hopefully stimulate the local economy, to create jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, and 10% of all of our profits are going to go start other businesses or churches or nonprofits. So uh, that's that's initially how we are getting into the neighborhood. That's getting our foot in the door. However, there there might not be much. Um, there might not be many things that are more condescending than coming in and saying, "Hey, these are the problems that you have, and he, and we're here to fix your problems." Yep, we got it. We got it. We got all the plans. We got all the ideas. Yeah, I read an article one time where it said that this was a an issue in the neighborhood, and it very well might be an issue. Sure. But to come in and say like, "Hey, here I am as this white savior. I'm going to come in and fix all of your problems." That's going to go over real well. Yeah, and <laughs> uh, this is so. As missionaries, what uh, in in the Western world we have kind of figured out that. Well, what we've tried to do is we have a Western, per, like a European or, a, or American perspective. Mm-hmm. And we're like, well, we need to go to these third world countries and we need to bring America or we need to bring Europe to them. Um, and they're like, you have no idea. And like, you have no respect for our culture. You have no respect for our people. You have no mm-hmm. respect for any of these kinds of things. Yeah. And what we do... Um, uh, Jesus in Matthew 23, he's talking to the Pharisees and the religious elite. And he says, you cross land and sea to make one convert. And in the process, you make them twice the child of hell that you are. Mm-hmm. And um, so so we don't want to go and just necessarily replicate ourselves. Say like, hey, I have it all figured out because I'm a, a, you know, a upper middle class white man. Um and, you know, I, I'm not entirely sure what the demographics of the area are that we are going to be in. Um, so I might fit in really well um, being wherever we end or, up. Or you might fit in really well Monday to Friday during business hours. Yeah. And then when everyone goes home, who are the people that actually live in that community or live, you know, within uh, walking distance of where we are? And it's yeah. likely a totally different group of people. Yeah, exactly. And so... Um, we absolutely want to be a blessing to the community, but I don't want to go in with preconceived notions of what the community needs. Yeah. And so the reality is, is that we will probably take a couple of years to get to know the community, to listen to her needs, to build relationships. And, uh, you know, I'm familiar with Columbus. I've never lived there. Uh, and I live 40 miles away. Yeah. So like, you know, I, I have a decent grasp of it, but I've never lived there. I don't, I don't know her pulse. I don't know, uh, her, her heartbeat. I don't know the, the things that drive her. 
And so I want to get in and, and incarnate ourselves into the community mm-hmm. and listen to the people. Uh, one of the, there, there's a organization here in Newark. And I think that this is, this is just like one of the most beautiful things. It's called the think tank on poverty. And I think they meet once a month or once every other month. And here's, as I understand it, one of the rules, you are not allowed to speak at these events unless you are impoverished. It's like, that's kind of brilliant. Yeah. I mean, how, what sort of opinion are you going to have on, on poverty, on how to resolve poverty if you're not experiencing it or if you haven't experienced yeah. it? Yeah. Well, and I mean, there's some principle that like, okay, if, if I want to lose weight, I'm not to, going to go to somebody who you know, is <laughs> the fat trainer you know, doesn't have any clients. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> uh, if if I'm if I'm living paycheck to paycheck, I'm not going to go to the guy who's living on the streets to for financial so, advice. So I mean, or like, yeah. but what I love about this idea of the the think tank on poverty is they're giving voice to those who often don't have voices. Yeah. And I think that's what we want to do as a, as a church, as a community, is to, to give voice to those who often are marginalized, to, to give voice to those who are often uncared for. Uh, because what we see is if we really want to encounter Jesus, Jesus tells us that we have to go to the margins. Um, in Matthew 25, Jesus says, for I was hungry and you clothed me, or sorry, I was hungry and you fed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was thirsty. You gave me drink. You visited me when I was in prison. Uh, and, and the disciples were like, Lord, when, when were you naked and we clothed you? When were you hungry and we fed you? When were you thirsty and we gave you drink? When were you in prison and we visited you? And he says, ah, what you have done for the least of these, you have done also for me as well. And so we want to engage the community um, on the margins um, and, and to be a people of blessing for them. And uh, people on the margins are not necessarily those who are impoverished. Uh, there, could be, there could be other uh, marginalized people groups. Um, sure, yeah. Uh, it could be, it could be um, people of different ethnicities who are on the margins, uh, who are affluent, you know, it could be people who struggle with drug addiction. It could be, uh, you know, cause, uh, opioid addiction is not limited only to the poor. Uh, no, it's, no, it's not at all. quite, uh, uh, prevalent in, in the suburbs as well. Mm-hmm. And so we want to go in not with an agenda, but with hands Hearts and feet, hands ready to serve, hearts ready to listen, and feet ready to go um, to to serve where there is need rather than coming in and saying, here's what your needs are and you should listen. So I think a lot of times we come in with answers to questions that nobody is asking. Mm-hmm. And I think that we have a responsibility to to be really good listeners. Yeah. Figure out what the questions are. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate having the time to talk about this because I think of our uh, 
of our values, this is, I don't want to say the least kind of Jesus or church focused one, but it is kind of, you know, thinking about and talking about how are we really just going to engage in the community that we're located in and how we're connecting with them. And so I identify really strongly with that. I think it's one of the things that I kind of latched onto about Harvestgate in the first place was how how are we going to be making an impact? Obviously, it's important to the church to be growing believers and spreading the word and and all that. And I'm, you know, I'm certainly not against that at all, but I look forward to the behaviors that lead to that. And that's where I think being community oriented is really important, where we're going to be looking to do positive things in the community. Yeah. And I, and so this is maybe a misconception. I'm not saying that you are misunderstanding what I'm saying, but a misconception of Jesus is that he does not care about the community. Right. He does. In fact, the, the, there's the story of the feeding of the, uh, the 4,000 where he starts out saying, these people are hungry. We should feed them. Um, man, maybe that's a good place to start. Right. You know, there's a, there's a, we don't have time to get into it today, but there's a thing called the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And uh, essentially there's, I think, five different levels of needs that people have, but we can't reach these higher levels of need until we meet basic needs like safety and security and food and shelter and those kinds of things. So Mm -hmm. we need to engage in those in order to help people reach their higher or to, to attain these higher levels of needs. Um, and the other thing, again, we don't have time to really get into it, but we've been talking about community as it concerns the entire city, but community can be as large as a city or a nation. Um, but it can also be as small and intimate as your next door neighbor. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and so we also want to be people who engage our neighbors. Jesus says that you should love your neighbor as yourself. And the question's asked, well, who's your neighbor? And he, and he goes on to, to, to answer that. But um, man, if as a church, we don't know who our next door neighbors are. Whew. Yeah. I mean, it takes us back to that idea of, you know, if your church disappeared tomorrow, would anyone notice? Yeah. And maybe the first person you want to notice is the person next door. Yeah. You know. And... Man, I, I, right now where I live, I have some really phenomenal neighbors, um, neighbors that I, I have grown to love very deeply. I've got to baptize a couple of them and their children. Um, we have wept with them. We've rejoiced with them. And I received one of the greatest blessings that I could ever receive uh, the other day. Um, my immediate next door neighbor said, um, you're getting ready to move. And I, I don't know, like, uh, I'm afraid of who the next person that's coming in <laughs> is going to be just because, um, he essentially said, you've been a really great neighbor. Yeah. And like, we've gotten into church because of you and we like our, our lives have been changed and impacted because of you. And as a follower of Jesus and as his neighbor and as a friend of his, man, that is like the greatest compliment, the greatest blessing that I could have ever received. Um, and I can say that the feeling is mutual. It's not just, well, look at what he did and like, look how much this guy likes us. <laughs> yeah. But like, we've really grown to love our, our neighbors and, um, we look out for one another. 
We, you know, uh, hey, can I borrow a, a stick of butter? Hey, can I borrow this? Can I, you know, we share with one another. And so community is not just the whole city and this kind of vague kind of thing, but it can be really intimate uh, when we get down to people as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. Well, it's been great kind of digging deeper into these values. And we hope for those listening now or in the future that they get a sense of what Harvestgate is hoping to do and how we want to do it uh, and what's sort of driving those actions, those behaviors that can net, you know, goals uh, that we might have in other areas. So um, thanks for for digging into that with us today. And thanks for listening. Uh, Zach, it's, uh, it's been fun. It has been fun. Follow us on social media at Harvestgate Network. There are several ways you can engage with us and support the Harvestgate Network at harvestgate.org. You can subscribe to the Harvestgate podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. If you're as excited as we are about this project, please consider supporting us by sharing, joining our prayer team, or donating on our website. Thanks for listening to the Harvestgate podcast, connecting faith to families, communities, and marketplaces.